Mac Power Users, Episode 171, Photo Management. Well, Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the Mac Power Users. Along with me today is my pal, Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. We're recording this at 9 a.m. on January one. Or, or noon on January 1, depending on... No, it's 9 a.m. in my world, and I'm not sure why I thought of doing this, because I'm a little bit hungover. And I will say for the record that David set the time. Yeah. He well, said, you know. we can do it at 9 a.m., that's no problem. I said, and, I'm, and I'm recovering from a cold, so I have a shot A voice. So, other than that, things are great. <laughs> and with us is our pal, Bradley Chambers. Hi, Bradley. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, well, Br- Bradley, you, you wrote a book. On the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show. But this is a topic that I think we've gotten more feedback from Mac Power listeners users over the last couple of months, and we've been teasing it. But welcome to the photo management show. I'm glad to be here. Um, You know, I've done two books. One was about Evernote and the second one was about photo management. And in in my day job, I deal with people that are non-technical. And so I see where the kind of the edge cases are on where th- workflows are just really not kind of not working and there's no no alternative. So I wrote the book for two reasons, A, to be able to sell it, but B, that when I get asked these questions at work, that I can give them my book and it saves me from having to explain them, you know, the, the 10 different workflows on getting photos off of your iPhone, onto your iPad and, and various things, um, because it's a it's a real challenge and there's not one, there's not one solution that, you know, there is with music or other forms of media. Yeah. And I want to stop there for a minute and just talk about what we're going to do today. Um, This is a photo management show. It's not a show about taking better pictures or how to use an app on your phone or your Mac to make your pictures look better. It's, it's all about dealing with the sheer number and quantity of pictures. And if you're listening to this and you're living with somebody and they've got their own set of pictures and you've already faced this problem, I'm sure of, how do we keep track of all these pictures we're taking and have them in a place that everyone can access them? And, and this is really a problem. I I think that, you know, this is something that Apple has dropped the ball on and, and they've, they've got this great apps. They've got these phones that take these great pictures, but they really haven't solved the problem of managing pictures. And you can say what you want about iTunes, but we all know where our music is. And that, that problem is largely solved. Uh, photos, however, are not. In my case, I've got a wife. I've got two kids, multiple Macs. My wife's more of a muggle than a nerd. And and for years, I did the system where we had a shared, you know, iMac, and everybody had to upload their photos to that one thing. But when iPhoto sharing started showing up and all these different wireless systems, that system broke down irretrievably. And I realized that I had to kind of go on my own spirit quest to find a good way to manage photos for my family. And then I started talking about it in the show and it inevitably led to this, but I thought before we got started, maybe we should just each of us kind of share our situation that we're dealing with. Um, and w- just to kind of demonstrate how this problem exists for everyone. Well, you know, I, you would think that I would have the easiest case of, of dealing with all this because I only have to deal with one person and that's me. Um, 
My MacBook is my main machine. I do have this Mac Mini that I would love to be able to use as my primary storage. But unfortunately, I thought PhotoStream would be the great answer to this. But unfortunately, as we record this, PhotoStream only allows you to sync it up to to one computer. So that's a little disappointing. I have iPhones and iPads, but I don't take any pictures with my iPad. Let's just be very clear about that. Um, you know, but my my iPhone is my primary camera. I do have a point and shoot that I'll I'll take pictures with um, occasionally, but my iPhone's where I take most of my cameras, my pictures. So you think this would be easy? You think that okay, great, I I take some snapshots with my iPhone, and this photo stream magically happens, and they all come down to iPhoto, and everything gets in sync, and that happens most of the time. But I still have these edge cases where I'm I'm wondering, gosh, where where did my photos go, and are they where they're supposed to be? And why are all these? St- why is all this stuff in iPhoto? And why do I have duplicates? And why is this system all breaking down? I don't understand the stigma with taking pictures with your iPad. And I know I've been kind of part of it, teasing people in the past in the show. But I have to admit, I have taken pictures of my iPad because I've been somewhere using it, and I saw something worth taking a picture of. Yeah, I, I guess I won't say never. I don't regularly yeah. take pictures with my iPad. Let's say that I do. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say that I do it on occasion at work, uh, especially with Sketch. Like if we're planning out new wiring diagrams and we're, you know, if we're doing a, a construction project, I will use Sketch, take a, you know, take a picture and mark off where the cabling needs to go and send that off to our cabling company. So you know, I don't do it necessarily to take pictures of my kids, but there, you know, you think if there wasn't a camera in the iPad, that would be a workflow that I couldn't do on my iPad. Well, I'll tell you what I do use the iPad for quite a bit, and that's because my iPad has a larger – well, maybe it doesn't, but it has a larger available capacity than my iPhone. And I do a lot of photo upload to my iPad from the camera connection kit. So even though I may not be taking photos with my iPad, there are times when I'll have a great number of photos on my iPad just because I'm using the iPad as a, as a transfer mechanism. So you do, I do have multiple devices that I've, I've got to keep in sync. But I'm sorry, Bradley, you were telling us about, about your setup. Oh yeah, I um, I've got two computers that I use. Uh, I've got day to day at my uh, work. I have a MacBook Air with a five twelve gigabyte storage drive, so it's you know certainly bigger than most, and certainly bigger than the stock. And then at home, I have a two thousand and nine MacBook Pro with a one terabyte drive. And my wife and I both have iPhones. We both have iPads. And I mentioned earlier uh, to you guys that I have two kids. I have a three year old and a six month old. So we are taking tons of photos and you know one of the things that really kind of hit a light bulb for me that's different with like our generation and say our parents is my parents took pictures of events they took pictures of christmas and holidays and birthdays and that was it and you know day to day i take 10 to 15 pictures of my kids And, and so this is a new problem to have because we've never had something that allowed us to take good pictures if not great from something that's always in our pockets you know you think about it I mean, the iPhone, it came out in 2007. Really, the camera didn't get kind of pretty good until the iPhone 4. And so this is a you know, fairly new problem we have. Um, but like you, you just, you know, when I talk to people at work and I you know, talk to a lot of people and they say, like, what's the best photo workflow? I don't have a great answer for them. And because, you know, I've had to kind of make one up myself that works for me. But it's also a little it's also a little nerdy. And it's not something I can say, all right, flip this switch. And pay this amount of money, you know, to to Apple, and your problems are solved. Like you could say, okay, what's the best way to back up my music? And I'd say iTunes Match is the simplest way to do it. And I think we're all kind of looking for that solution that would allow you to take a photo on your iPhone, 
and have it be backed up everywhere and not have to, you know, think about how much, you know, how big your camera roll is, how much iCloud backup space you have. Like that's the solution we're looking for. Something that just it makes it available everywhere for either free or low cost. Yeah. Well, a couple of things there, Bradley. The first is, you know, our parents, when they took a picture, they had to buy film and then they had to pay to get the film developed. And I remember, I guess I'm old enough to remember you taking pictures in those days and not knowing if the picture I took was any good or not. You know, I didn't have a fancy camera when I was a kid and, and I, I didn't really understand F stops and lighting and all that stuff. So I thought I'd take a good picture and I'd get back a roll of 30 and there might be one in there that actually worked. So there was a lot of encouragement not to take pictures. Whereas now once you, you get in the door with a camera, you can take as many pictures as you want. And I do think one of the solutions is for us to go ahead and be liberal about taking pictures. Last night on New Year's Eve, I, I probably took a hundred pictures and this morning I look through them and I'm keeping like four of them. And I think that's one way you can help yourself is, is even though it's easy to take pictures, don't keep them all. And then, you know, the second point you make about how there isn't an easy solution is one of the reasons why we're doing this show, because it, when you get to the end of the show, all three of us have a different way of managing this stuff. And that's probably an indication that there isn't that one good solution, but it's also hope for everybody that no matter where you are in the nerd spectrum, you can probably find a place to get better at this. Yeah. But let me jump in is that all three of us have a different way of managing stuff, but we have a way of managing stuff. There is a huge percentage of the iPhone using population who has no way of managing this stuff. I mean, they're just letting Apple manage it for them. And I don't know that the, what can we do? And maybe we'll address it a little bit later in the show, but I just want to point out that this is a problem is that most people um, will just take, they don't sync up their iOS device to a computer. And this is especially true among PC users. And I, I believe, and, and I don't have any firsthand experience with this. I, well, I know that there's a mechanism where you can, you can set your iPhone that when you plug it into your computer, iTunes will download your photos to a specific uh, folder or photo, photo application. Yeah. But most people anymore don't plug in their phones to computers. They they have them sync wirelessly or they um, they just have their contacts and their email comes in and they just take all these pictures and their photos live on their iPhone and they don't sync with iTunes. Or, excuse me, they don't sync with iPhoto. They don't sync with iTunes either. Uh, and they don't sync with whatever they've got going on in their computer. So when they hit the limit of the storage of their iPhone, because they've either got these low-end either 8 or 16 gig iPhones, and we know that you can, you know, use up quite a bit of storage with photos and videos, that's it. They're done, and they've got to start going through and, and deleting photos off. And those, those photos certainly aren't getting backed up, because if they've turned on iPhoto backup to begin – or, excuse me, iCloud backup to begin with, they're very, very quickly – going to hit that five gigabyte free cap and they're not going to go and buy more. You know, I think it's 15 or 20 bucks to to upgrade to the next level a year. And, and that's not a lot of money. And it's certainly the easiest and most convenient way to make sure that everything on your phone is, is backed up, but people just don't do it. And then, so they have a, they have an issue where they drop their phone or they lose their phone or something happens and that's just gone. You know, everything is gone. I know it's terrifying. Well, even if they get them onto their computer, uh, how many people are even backing up their computer? And you know, things like that just you know, make me sad on the inside. Like my, my cousin had her house burned down a few years ago, lost all of her pictures from her kids. You know, had, it wasn't back. She had, I think she had a backup hard drive on the inside of her house, but she didn't have like a crash plan or a you know, back blaze service. And 
and or you know the hard drives die you know on average every three years and this kind of stuff just makes me sad because I feel like that the premium we pay for Apple products like we should have some sort of solution here like we have all the technology available to us to be able to solve this problem um, and I yeah, think that- I, I think most people just think the cloud covers it. And I think you talk to a regular person, you say, hey, what are you doing with your photos? Like, oh, they're backed up to iCloud, right? And that, because if you watch the original iCloud commercials, that's what it kind of alluded to. But that's just not the case. And you know, even if they have, even if they decide, hey, I'm going to upgrade my iCloud storage to continue the backup, um, and I would venture that most people don't pay that, what happens when their phone fills up? What do they do then? I mean, again, you can, again, get them off of your phone onto your you know, crappy PC but are you backing that up? I mean, it's just like you think about the scalability of the solutions that Apple provides for us, and they just don't—they just don't scale. From if you know, I had a kid this year, there's nothing that Apple sells that can scale till he's 18. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I had two personal friends this year who this, you know, troubleshooting this issue with them made me think about doing the show and think about what is the solution for the great masses, maybe not Mac Power users listeners, but people that our Mac Power users listeners support. But um, one of them lost all of their or lost all their photos when they had an issue with the iOS 7 update and their phone got stuck in restore mode and they had to restore their phone. And they had some stuff that was in photo stream for the last 30 days, but nothing beyond that. Um, and someone else had a similar issue when they dropped their phone and got a new one and didn't realize, wait, what do you mean? My stuff just doesn't come back. But anyway. yeah, I was, in, I was in the Apple store once and there was a woman there. She was like 23, 24 and the hard drive had failed on her MacBook. And this is, this actually goes back several years. I think I told the story on our backup episode years ago, but it, it stuck with me so much because her hard drive failed. She didn't have a backup. And she was talking to the genius. She says, well, what do you mean? I had all of my college pictures on there. I was in the you know sorority. All of my college pictures are on there. How do I get them back? He says, you don't. And the tears just started streaming down her face. And I looked at I felt so bad for her. And there, there was nothing they could do for her. And uh, that always stuck with me. Um, so, so it's a big problem. Um, but we do have some solutions. <laughs> you don't have to go jump off a bridge right now. It's okay. We're going to help you through this. <laughs> Um, so, and, and there are different solutions. So maybe we should, should now uh, transition over to talking a little bit about how we're going to do deal with these photo problems. And, um, I think the first thing is talking about photo libraries and photo sizes. And I already talked a little bit about editing your photos and that's something you can do right on your phone or on your Mac very easily. Uh, am I the only one here that, that takes a machete to my events after I take pictures? I, yeah, I do on I do on occasion, but I most of the time my life is so crazy. Um, you know, my my days are I get up at five o'clock and I usually don't stop until eleven o'clock that night. I'm just uh, you know getting those things off my phone onto onto a computer with the intentions of going back and cleaning them up, but I usually don't. I I even do it sometimes at the event. Um, we you know I guess part of my workflow in all of this is. I take a lot of pictures with my Olympus camera. I've got a really nice Olympus that's got a, a nice low f-stop lens on it. So when we have family events, I've usually got it with me. So I've got those pictures, and I've got my iPhone pictures. And the way I get my Olympus pictures into my iPad 
is I just have a, a camera connection kit and I just take the SD card and plug it in. And one of the reasons is people love looking at the pictures at the event. And that's just maybe because my family is more nerdy than most, but we have a good time putting the pictures and passing the iPad around and, and looking at them. But as I'm putting them in, I'm deleting, always constantly deleting. I, I just think to myself, in three or four years, I'm not going to want to see 50 pictures of this Thanksgiving turkey. I may want to see one. So, you know, delete, 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 keep the good one. And so I'm very good about editing as it comes in. And as a result, managing my library is a lot easier because when you've got 300 pictures from a family event, that's one story. But when you've got 20, it's a different story. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to start. Uh, another piece of that is seriously look at the JPEG versus raw debate. And we had Katie and I had this kind of at length um, on a show. Um, when, when, when was With that Jeff show? Carlson. Yeah. Yeah. It was Jeff Carlson on the show. It was about a, three or four months ago. And Jeff was talking about iOS photography and it kind of gave me a hallelujah moment that I don't need to shoot everything in raw, you know? And if you don't not familiar with these terms, a lot of the modern cameras shoot what they call raw data and the picture is not compressed. When you get a JPEG, you know, which is what most people think of as a picture, the camera is actually taking the image and processing it right there and making the file size much smaller so it's more manageable. When you when you shoot raw, you get everything that the lens saw, every scrap of data, which gives you more flexibility later. And I was just under the impression for so many years that I needed to shoot everything in raw. And as a result, I had these huge files. Well, after talking to Jeff and researching it somewhere, I've got to the point where I don't shoot raw unless it's a very specific type of photo. Like if I'm going to take kind of like something I want to use as a portrait or something I'm going to want to use as I'm going to blow up to poster size and hang in my office or, you know, like a landscape or something like that. And, um, I've really, you know, put that into my life. I, I don't shoot, raw all the time. In fact, there's an article I'm going to put in the show notes that kind of talks about good good times to use raw versus JPEG. But it, just because you have a camera that shoots raw doesn't mean you necessarily need to. So that's another thing I've done, which has made the file management problem a lot easier. How about you guys? Do you, do you just shoot JPEG? You know, I actually don't have a camera that will shoot in raw, so well, that makes I it easy. I haven't found a, a need to, to upgrade yet. Yeah. We have a... Um probably a $200 Nikon that we got from Costco two years ago that I think can shoot in raw, but I shoot in JPEG on that. And obviously on my iPhone five, we shoot in JPEG. Um, I've got a friend that, you know, is kind of the, the raw mindset that he has uh, everything off his cameras in raw. He's got a thousand dollar camera. He's got an HD camera that's shooting at the highest resolution possible for video. And he stores this all on a big server and my thing with that is, again, when are you going to need that? Again, specific use cases, if you're going to take a family photo that you're going to blow up, have a big portrait, absolutely. But it's just trying to you know, recognize what's your payoff to the amount of data you didn't have to store. Yeah, I, after I gave this speech on a show in the past about thinning out the herd, you know, uh, deleting photos, I got an email from someone linking an article of the guy who had the one picture of Monica Lewinsky and President Clinton together. Yeah. And talking about how much money he made on that picture. And it was just a, a dumb picture he was taking at some event and had no idea those two subjects being together was relevant. And when everything blew up a year or two later, he, he went and found that picture and sold it for lots and lots of money. And my response to the guy was, yeah, that's great, but I'm not taking pictures of the president with his aides. I'm, you know, I'm taking pictures of family events. And I, I really believe that 
if you will just take the time. And it's so easy to do this on your iPad. It's easy to do it right on your iPhone if that's what you're using to shoot pictures. Go through. Go ahead and take a lot of pictures. In fact, you know, with the new iPhone 5S, I hold down that button and shoot a lot of pictures for every single one I take. You know that new feature? Maybe burst, burst mode. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. But but I'm also just relentless about deleting everything else. And um and and that well that's a place to start. But that's not the place to end. So once you maybe get a little wiser about how how you manage the pictures immediately after you take them, then the question is how do you collect them? And I guess this is really the meat of the show is collecting the photos. Um and there's a couple different strategies to go about that. And, and let's start with the Apple one. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do a sponsor read before we do that? Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, before we start talking about PhotoStream, because that could take us way off track for, for the next hour or so, I do want to talk about our, our exclusive sponsor for this episode. And uh, they are with us again for another year. Our sincere thanks to our good friends over at Smile. And I want to talk this show about PDF Pen. And I had a lot of fun this past week with PDF Pen because, and forgive me if I'm getting a little geeky here, but Greg said it was okay to get a little geeky in these spots because he knows that our listeners like to get geeky. But um, you know, for a while I've talked about how PDF Pen has become really just my primary um, PDF reader, writer, editor, my PDF everything for the Mac. It It's a great PDF reader. It allows you to edit and annotate PDFs. Um, it allows you to OCR your PDFs, which is where all the magic happens so that you can do things with your PDFs with automation later down the line. But in my field and in really in everybody's field, um, redaction is important for me in PDFs because especially – if you subscribe to a paperless workflow and maybe you upload some of those documents to the cloud, you might be a little nervous about some of the items on some of the documents that you are uploading to the cloud. So, you know, maybe you want to keep your bank statements, but maybe you don't want your account numbers going up into the cloud. Or maybe you want to keep copies of your tax returns, but maybe not with your social security numbers on it or whatever the case is. Um, and PDF Pen for a long time has had a feature where they've been able to search and redact for blocks of text. So you could put in a string of text, maybe, you know, the first 10 digits of your credit card number or the first eight digits of your social security number or whatever it is you want to put in. And as long as the document was OCR'd, which you can do with PDF pen, uh, it would search and redact the information from that document. And this is more than just putting a black box over it. It would not only redact the information from the image of the document, but it would also redact it from the metadata underneath so that it is gone. And I begged and begged and begged and begged the folks at Smile for, I think, a couple of years at Macworld now to help me with some way to automate that redaction. And they did. With PDF Pen version 6, they came out with a way that the redaction could be scriptable with AppleScript. So you can now fire off redaction where it will automatically search for a string of text and redact it via AppleScript. So now I've just set up a couple of additional parameters in Hazel, and I blogged about this on my blog. If you want to read it in more detail, we'll stick a link in the show notes, where if I scan a document in with my – I scan in with my ScanSnap scanner, so pretty much everything is already OCR'd when it goes through there. Um, or you can automatically OCR it with PDF Pen if you want. It doesn't matter. But it's already OCR'd. And then I've got a series of rules in Hazel that will look for certain items that I never want to go to the cloud – 
and perform strings of redaction on those items. And so I can rest with some level of confidence that this redaction is just happening and I don't have to go through and scan every document. Now, keep in mind, redaction is only as good as as the OCR is. So you do want to give everything a, a quick look over before you send it off or upload it. But in my experience, it's been pretty darn good. So I posted this and then our good friend Gabe from Mac Drifter came back and he said, well, let me see if I can one up that. And he came out with this really neat uh, script that allows you to redact based on keywords. And David, I know that this is one of your favorite features of the ScanSnap, where if you highlight when you scan something in, it can create keywords to a document. So he created a script that will tell PDF Pen to look for certain keywords in a document and then redact those. And this is all because PDF Pen is scriptable and has this really neat redaction feature. So... It's just amazing what you can do with this product. I mean, me with my simple Apple script filed by ha- fired by Hazel, and then Gabe just goes off and does something even more remarkable. So I'll put links to both of those uh, in the show notes if you want to look at them in more detail. And hey, listeners, if you have done something really cool with PDF Pen, or if PDF Pen has saved your day, um, Smile wants to hear from you. So send us your stories, either in audio or text, no more than 30 seconds, and send those to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com with PDF pin in the subject line, and maybe we'll feature you on a future show. You know, it's amazing what nimble developers can do. You know, when you have a small company that's developing a great product and you have an issue like this, they can they can come up with the script for you. Can you imagine how hard that would be with a huge company? I know. Hey, I can't uh, tell you the number of times that the the ability to export a PDF back to Word in PDF Pen 6 has saved oh, yeah. my day. I mean, I can That's think of killer. hours that has saved me retyping documents. Yeah, it's like a magic trick. It just never gets old for me. Hey, Katie, you know my three-year-old nephew? He told Oliver he gets me. You, you uh-huh. want to, he gave me for Christmas? Oh, dear. Oh. It's a, it's a button, and I just press it, and it makes a Star Wars sound. Is that like... You- is this is this your version of the bell? Yeah, you know, as I as you were talking, I was thinking it might be. This may make this may make an appearance on the show at some point. Okay, all right, I'm gonna have to email Daisy about that. So, all right, well, <laughs> let me just say thank you, Smile, um, for your kind support of Mac Power users, and uh, you can find more information on their website at smilesoftware.com. So, all right, now. Now that we've got through me interrupting your ad spot with my Star Wars laser, <laughs> let's talk about collecting this stuff. And and I think even though we kind of poo-pooed it at the beginning, there are some really great things about PhotoStream and, and some of the new sharing features as well. And I do think it's a, a place to start. So how does PhotoStream really work? Well, that's in flux. Because we thought we knew how it worked. And if you actually go back and listen to, I think it was actually Steve Jobs' last keynote that he when he talked about this, we were told that it worked one way. And supposedly, PhotoStream would be this temporary holding place for your photos for 30 days, and it would give you enough time to offload these photos from your iPhone or iPad to your Mac. And PhotoStream was just kind of this temporary holding place, last 1,000 photos, last 30 days type thing. But, well, as, as I understand it now, it, it holds the last thousand photos, period. There's well, not a 30-day limitation. Well, the 
it, it's a little bit in flux, and Apple has has pretty regularly updated their knowledge base, and I've put a link to the knowledge base article in the show notes that talks about kind of what PhotoStream does and when what its limitations are. So at this point, PhotoStream upload limits are pretty much based on um, a number of photos per day, per hour, per month, and um, and we should mention that it's kind of I believe there is still the 30-day limitation, because according to this photo stream knowledge base, photos uploaded to the stream are stored for 30 days. But Apple has kind of broken out photo stream is separately from these those streams that you can share. Yeah, and, and the shared photos, to me, has become kind of a linchpin to photo management with my family. And so just to explain how that works, you've got the I, iCloud photo stream. So every time you snap a picture with your with your iPhone or every time you upload a picture to your iPad from your camera stick it's going to go into this photo stream and the idea is you're going to get on your Mac at some point and open aperture or iPhoto and it's going to slurp all those photos in and you're going to have them on your hard drive without having to have have connected your compu- your uh, your phone or your camera to your computer which generally works if you stick with it and and take the process of opening your iPhoto or Aperture application. In fact, at one point, Katie, you had talked about building a script to automatically launch it while you were on vacation, so it would keep capturing those things as they were coming in. Yeah, I actually, there were some problems with that, but I, I have I have done something similar to that. Yeah, I'll talk about that a little later. But but then iCloud photo sharing has got much more interesting in the last year. So, uh, you know, first we had. Back when it was mobile me, there was photo sharing there, but it was kind of a different thing. It was based on a website and people could go to the website and they could, they had a certain limited functionality. And that went away as we got to iCloud, but they brought it back with this iOS based photo sharing. And so the way it works now is, and since we just had Christmas and I got my new fancy laser, um, I created a gallery called Sparks Christmas and I shared that gallery with my wife, my two kids, um, and all of my relatives that were at these at two different family events. I mean, I have a big family, and and fortunately, I come from a family that everybody is using iOS devices generally because you know of my influence. I think uh, so. Everybody's got these iOS devices, so I I made this gallery that's got I think it's got like ten people in it, and and all the pictures I'm taking. I'm moving into this gallery and my wife is doing that as well as is my sister, as is my sister-in-law, as are my kids. So at the end of Christmas, we ended up with this gallery with something like 200 pictures in it. And they were pictures taken by everybody from different cameras. And then I plugged in my Olympus cameras, memory stick to my iPad. And I went through and I edited those down to, you know, 15 really great pictures. And I put those in that stream too. So those are there as well. And that's something that's really useful at the capture phase for me. So when we have a family event now, that's become an automatic thing. And now people expect it. When I showed up for Christmas, they said, okay, have you made the photo stream yet? I mean, they understand. And these are people who are not super computer nerds, but they they get it enough to understand that if I accept this invitation from David and if I put my pictures into this place, I'm going to have one big pool of pictures and it's going to include pictures that I didn't even take. And they love that. Yeah, and I want to make sure that we're getting our terminology right here. And it's it's confusing because I think Apple changes a little bit us. But when we talk about photo stream, 
we're talking about this this stream of photos that we take that's just like like the river which is i think is why to call it photo stream this just constant stream of photos that we take or dump or somehow otherwise get into our mac or our ios device it's just here it comes here's the full flow of of photos and then the iCloud photo sharing is what David was just talking about, which is actually taking the photos that we've taken or, or somehow have access to and then creating special shares of them and breaking them up into into pots, I guess. Yeah. And the way you set it up is real simple. You, you start with your, your camera. I start on my iPhone. I have a couple pictures. And then you click the sharing button in iOS seven and it, and there's a button there to save it to iCloud. And then it's going to give you a list of all of your iPhoto sharing galleries, or you can create a new one. And then I'll create, like I created a new one for Christmas, 2013. And then you just put those photos there and it has a setting to send out invitations and you just start putting names in there from your address book. And you can also put a setting to allow them to also upload pictures to it. So once you've done that, you've got a really nice pool, common pool for people to put their photos in. Um, it's generally, you know, reliant upon these people having iOS devices. This is one of those things where if half your family's on Android or half of them don't even have a smartphone. Um, it's going to be less useful. Now, the big difference here is that PhotoStream had its limitations and that, you know, the big one was the 30 day limitation. And that if you, if you took a bunch of photos on your camera and you didn't, turn on your Mac and slurp them down into iPhoto at least once every 30 days, you could conceivably lose some photos. If you, you know, took photos 40 days ago and you, you may lose the last 10 days worth of photos. But once yeah. you create these iCloud photo shares, those are much more permanent. And yeah. Apple has created some, some limitations. I mean, but, but they're pretty generous limitations. I mean, you can, you can share up to a hundred streams and you can be a member of up to a hundred streams and you can have a, a maximum of 5,000 photos shared per stream. And, you know, I, I mean, pretty generous limitations into these iCloud photo sharing streams, but th that are not necessarily on the, on the photo stream upload limit. So it's, it's very on Apple in, in the confusion, but it's, it seems like if you, if you want to create, and I hesitate to use this as a backup, but a, a way to easier pres to preserve your photos so that you can access them on the go, so that you can access them on access them on your devices. Putting photos into these iCloud photo sharing streams seems to be a good way to do this. I mean, one of the things that I've done is even if I'm not actively sharing these streams with family members or with people, you know, I do have photos that I want to have. I don't necessarily want them loaded on my iPhone at all times, but it would be nice to be able to have access to them. Um, so I've got, you know, like... I built a house recently and everybody's asking me, oh, well, how did your house, you know, people who family who I haven't seen in a long time, how did your house turn out? Well, I've got a couple of photos of my house and, and here's photos of my house. Or how was your recent trip to Alaska? Well, here I've got, you know, photo, you know, a couple dozen photos from my trip to Alaska. And I've just created kind of these best of streams that I'm the only one who subscribed to, but that means I pretty much have access to them on any of my iOS devices all the time. And because it's in the photo stream, you're never going to lose the data. It's there, right. according to Apple, it's, it's not going to be deleted. Another tip I use for this is, you know, it's easy to say, say, let's make one for Christmas. But what about all the miscellaneous pictures my wife and kids and I take? And we just have one called Sparks Fun. You know, we had one called Sparks Fun 2013. Now I'm going to make one called Sparks Fun 2014. And, you know, when we're at the park or just, you know, just goofing off, and it's not really an event. 
and it's a picture worth sharing, everybody puts it into that stream. Now, this doesn't mean I'm going to get every picture my wife ever takes or my kids ever take. It's only going to mean I'm going to take the ones they think are worth sharing. And I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, my wife takes pictures of wallpaper because she likes the color scheme. You know, she takes, you know, she like me, she's weird. She takes all kinds of strange photos that aren't necessarily, you know, archival, but they're referenced. And I don't want to see those. So this, this really actually works pretty well for me. One of my big, I guess, frustrations with PhotoStream in particular is it only works on Wi-Fi. So uh, if you go on vacation and you don't have Wi-Fi at the place you're staying and you're unable to upload anything that week, there's not even an option to even turn it on. I mean, I can understand Wi-Fi only being the default, but PhotoStreams doesn't even allow it to work over cellular. I don't know about the shared PhotoStreams. I don't know if that's any different, but I know like the regular PhotoStream, it's in the FAQ that it does not work over cellular. So, you know, again, I I don't mind Wi-Fi being the default because we obviously want to preserve uh, our cellular upload. But it'd be nice to have that option if you knew you're going to be away from Wi-Fi for, you know, seven to ten days. Yeah. Except you're going to blast through all of your data very quickly. And Bradley, do you know the answer to this? You may have just read it because I do not. Is it one of those situations where you don't just have to be on Wi-Fi, but you have to be on Wi-Fi and you have to be plugged in? No, you don't have to be plugged in. Okay. Yeah, it's... um, it says when new photos you take are automatically uploaded to your photo stream when you leave the camera app um, and are connected to Wi-Fi. My photo stream does not push photos over cellular connections. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just, just using the Christmas example, none of us were plugged in, but we were all on Wi-Fi and we were our photo stream was updating all day. I, I keep calling it photo stream. Our shared iPhoto our your, shared your iCloud, iCloud photo, photo share. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things where the name is, is getting confusing because I think it, it's been called different things. But yeah, so our shared photos were updating all day and none of us were plugged in. Now, I have a couple of questions and I don't know if you can answer them. I think I know the answers and I've done some research on this, but I have noticed that photos and photo stream are not full resolution. And Apple even tells you that. Um, because I've had a couple of times where I wanted to create a screensaver out of something, or I wanted to put something on the lock screen of my iPad, and I didn't have that photo natively on my iPad. But I said, oh, you know, I've got that photo in my photo stream. I'll just go grab it out of my photo stream and use that for my wallpaper. And it looked horrible, especially on a, you know, Retina iPad, because it's not a full resolution photo. But yet when I actually went and got the full resolution photo and and downloaded it and then used that for my wallpaper, it, it was fine. And Apple says that, um, you know, photo streams are not full resolution, that um, from a standard point-and-shoot camera, they'll typically have a resolution of 2048 by 1536 when pushed to your devices and panoramas are a little bit bigger. So here's my question. If I shoot photos just with my iPhone, do I have to physically connect my iPhone to my computer to download the full resolution? Or is just letting them sync through photo stream to iPhoto going to be enough to get my full resolution photos off my iPhone? Um, it's not. I mean, you're going to want, if you've got a high resolution image, I think you're going to want to do it with a wire. Um, as an example, my Olympus pictures at Christmas, I took some and I'm looking at them in the shared photo stream and they're 3.1 megapixels. It's 2048 by 1536 pixel size. And that's not the size they were on the camera. Yeah, but, Excuse me, I'm talking about just for my own purposes of getting it off my iPhone into iPhoto, not sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. So you still think I've got to use the wire? Let me see here. 
I've, I've actually got my Aperture library open while we're doing the show because <laughs> I figured this was going to be an issue. Let's see here. Well, let's just keep talking and I'll, I'll answer that well. Yeah. You know, I think and the, the frustration for me here is this all these things, you know, getting the full resolution images off your iOS devices. They assume you have a Mac. And I, I really think, I mean, certainly today, but not only, the, you know, in years to come, we'll see a lot of people become iOS only. You know, on the podcast I do with Fraser Spears, that's one of the things that we talk about is getting the most out of the iPad. And we've pretty much got a whole workflow for recording and, and managing and uploading our podcast via iOS only. And, you know, I can foresee a day in the future where I will maybe not have a Mac. Maybe it's just a Mac mini in the closet that's a quote unquote server. And the majority of my computing is from an iPad. And so to me, PhotoStream is a very unApple like solution, A, because it's confusing, but B... It just assumes you've still got this, you know, digital hub. And I just feel like we've moved away from that model and the cloud needs to be your, your kind of your hub. I'm not saying that I don't want to have, you know, physical, you know, copies of my photos on my computer because I certainly do for the time being. But I, I feel like Apple needs to have some sort of Everpix style solution. You know, that was a great service that was shuttered a few months ago that it was just all your photos at full resolution were stored with them. And to me, that's that's what I'm wanting here is something that you can tell someone, okay, you get this device, you flip this switch, all your photos are taken care of. If you lose your phone, you're good to go. And right. it, there's so many questions here. And if you're explaining this to you know a non-technical person, there are so many asterisks you have to say, okay, well, under this circumstance, you probably need to offload that to your computer. Well, if they say, well, if I don't have my computer with me or it's broken, what, you know, what do you do? And these are questions that I don't have answers to. And that makes me sad because I feel like that we're so close here. Yeah, well, you're it, absolutely right. But th- that, that doesn't exist. That's the problem. Um, what we do need is something that uh, like I photo streaming that just never expires. That just keeps your photos forever. And it's got some decent management tools where you can organize them. And then you can open aperture or iCloud or have nested folders or some way to just access all of them whenever you want. But we just don't have that now. And, and that, you know, when we get to the end of the show, one of the things I was going to say is what's the future? I think the future is clearly that model where Apple just manages it for us. That, you know, you buy an iPhone, you pay, pay a lot of money for all this stuff, and your pictures are just handled. But we're not there yet. And, they, and I think it's all about data and bandwidth. I mean, music files are much smaller than photo files, and movie files are much bigger than photo files. So right now, you know, data caps and storage levels are at a point where they can do that with music, but it's not at a point where they can do it with movies. And I think we're almost there where they can do it with photos. Well, and even with iTunes match and uh, movies in the cloud, you know, if we buy the same CD, they only have to keep one copy of that. And so from a storage perspective, they're going to have to keep individual libraries of everybody. And so that's certainly a challenging problem. And when you say we're going to take care of all your family photos, you better do it because, again, if you screw up somebody's iTunes library, that's fixable with a gift card, with money, with restoring purchases. If you screw up someone's photo library, you know you can't go back and recreate those. And and look at Apple. Apple scale. I mean, how many hundreds of millions of iOS users are there? I mean, they can't. This isn't, you know, Everpix was fortunate in that they had something like, well, maybe unfortunate. I think they had something like a thousand subscribers. And their idea was we're going to allow you to back up all of your pictures in, in your personal web space online and access them from any device and share them. And it's going to be a really great solution. 
but they had something like a thousand users. Apple's got something like 300 million users. And, you know, that's not a problem uh, that's going to be solvable really easy. And, and Apple already has not proven themselves to be particularly adept at cloud services. So I think that they probably really want to give you that one button solution, but I don't think they know how yet. Let me just chime in with a possible answer to the question that I asked earlier. And David, I don't know if you found it, but it was, yeah. if I just take a picture with my iPhone and let it come over via photo stream, am I getting the full resolution photo in my iPhoto library? And so I went into my iPhoto library and I have not connected my iPhoto, my camera to iPhoto by wire and months. And so a photo that I took, and keep in mind this is an iPhone 5 back camera, on Christmas Day has a resolution of 2448 by 3264. And I, a 1.2 megabyte JPEG for what it's worth. And then I took that photo out of my camera roll in my iPhone and emailed it to myself at full resolution. Um, and it's the same dimensions, 2448 by 3264. Yeah, and, and the further experiment I did was I looked in my photo stream and one of the pictures from my Olympus was a 15 megapixel photo, which is great. The same picture in the shared photo stream was a three megapixel picture. So it looks like there may be something going on with the pictures getting uh, reduced in size as they go into a shared photo stream. Oh yeah, that's a good point. You know, for my experiment, I should also tell you what the, um, what the size of that photo is in photo stream. I'll tell you that. So anyway, uh, Bradley, you and I were, were talking about this. I, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think these solutions we're talking about in the show are ideal. It would be great if we could just push a button, but it, it just doesn't exist. So, so what do we do now? And, and one of them for me is the shared photo stream. It has really uh, been liberating with my family because they always had that problem of how do we share these photos? And we didn't have like a shared Flickr gallery or anything. And with this, uh, this system, they're able to upload the photos straight from their phones to the shared gallery. And they're able to view the gallery from their phones and iPads. And for them, that's just golden. I mean, I think that this is the most photo sharing my family has ever done because of this feature. And the way I'm using it is, you know, I, I'm aware that I only have a hundred libraries. So I'm trying not to make, micro libraries but but rather larger libraries so we don't have a separate you know library for fun for january 2014 we just have sparks fun 2014 and all of the pictures over the next year that don't really fit anywhere into a specific gallery that people want to share they'll put into that gallery yeah that's a that's a great idea i've never thought about using shared photo streams that way just as kind of you know offshoring buckets to keep them around. That's, that's an interesting idea. Well, well, the good part for me is that I'm getting other people to contribute to my photos. I mean, I have now pictures in my Christmas aperture that I didn't take that I wasn't even in the room when they were taken and it's great. So I'm seeing a bunch of pictures in here that, you know, I wasn't aware of. So it's, it's nice. And, and it is accessible by non geeks. You know, my family is, you know, not everyone in my family is as geeky as me. And, and they're figuring this out pretty easily. I mean, Apple does make it easy to upload a picture once you have this gallery established. So, and there, now it's becoming an expectation when we have a family event that we have one of these shared galleries because they like it too, because they're home looking at their iPads and seeing the pictures I took that they weren't in the room for. So it, it's all working out pretty well. But um, I'm a little concerned about the 
the smaller file size, but I kind of get that. And it's a step in the right direction, but it's not the ultimate solution that I'd like. You know, the question I guess run through my mind is, is this a problem for somebody like Apple or Google or Yahoo to solve? Or is this someone um, like a Neverpix or a Picture Life or a Loom? Uh, you know, those are other, other companies that were similar to Everpix. Or, you know, who solves this problem for us ultimately? Is it, you know, a smaller company that stays private and becomes kind of the de facto? Or maybe, you know, one of those companies gets bought up by Apple or Google or Yahoo and uh, integrated in. So it's like, you know, you look, you'd like to see, you know, 10 years from now and see, you know, what's the de facto standard here? Maybe there's not one, but it'd be interesting to see kind of who solves that for us. You know, can, can an Apple or a Google do it because they have so much scale or does it a small company that can kind of be nimble? I think absolutely Apple needs to solve the problem. I, I don't think that. The problem is, is that Apple's going to solve the problem for Apple users and Google's going to solve the problem for Google users. And we're going to live in a segregated world where iPhone users and Android users don't share photos as easily. You, well, you know I, who I could see being the dark horse in this is Amazon. Um, it was certainly with their you know, extensive uh, data centers. Could they come out with a, you know, I know you can, again, buy you know, cloud services from them right now um, just to you know, dump files off site. But could they come out with a kind of a photo management service that worked on Android devices, Kindle OS devices, iOS devices, you know, every you know, every type of computer? Could they do that because of the scale they could do it at and for probably as cheap as they could do it? Well, I mean, let's back up a little bit. And we, we mentioned Everpix. So they, that was a service that seemed to solve the problem for a lot of people, but they couldn't get enough business and they shut shut it down. And I believe they ago. were using Amazon as their back end. They were. And that's probably one of the reasons why they shut down because of that cost. But the um, I think that there will be some more of those independents crop up that give us that solution where we can upload all our pictures to the cloud somewhere and we can share and do this. But I think ultimately this, this problem lies at the feet, at least for our show and our listeners, at the feet of Apple. Because Apple is charging us a lot of money to buy these things. And they have the money to solve this problem. I'm not sure they have the time or the engineering challenges yet, but they're on, you know, they're on the road to it. And I'm sure that there is a project somewhere at Apple trying to solve this problem right now as well. And ultimately that's what we need. It needs to be built into the operating system and it needs to just happen. Well, to me, it, it seems like the, the first step to that is, um, you know, just increasing the, the size of the the free iCloud storage space. Yeah, and, and but I think even the progress we've seen with the iCloud photo sharing, I mean, over the last year, they've added the ability to have these multiple libraries. They've added the ability to have other people upload it. I think that was an iOS 7 thing. I mean, we're making steps in the right direction. It's it's not there yet, though. Clearly. We are, but but so few people are using those features. I mean, yeah. th- think about your muggles, David. I mean, who's using that? Your family's using that because you told them about it, but would they otherwise? Yeah, I don't know. And, uh, I mean, so and that's that was, why we're... That was Apple's way of expanding it and allowing extra storage, but not for the masses, just for the people who were going to take advantage of the, the advanced features. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's going to become more common, and I, and I hope it does, because... Otherwise, people are going to lose photos. You know. Well, All right. what about Dropbox? I mean, because Dropbox for a long time has had this camera upload feature. Now, the problem with Dropbox has always been uh, you're you're limited to whatever your Dropbox storage is, which if you've got a free account is two or 
sometimes you'll get some bonus space. So some people have two to five gigs of, of free Dropbox storage, and then it gets quickly expensive from there. And as you know, with photos, these things grow exponentially. But Dropbox, I think, actually got into the camera upload business, I think, before Apple, or if not, certainly very early. And it's it's pretty easy. Their app has gotten a lot better the way that it works, especially now with, with background updating, that if I take pictures with my camera on my iPhone or my iPad, they're going to automatically get slurped down into Dropbox and, and added to my Dropbox. In fact, Bradley, you use this system, don't you? Yeah, this Dropbox is at the heart of my photo workflow. I use an app called Camera Sync on the iPhone. And it, what it does is, and it can do more than just Dropbox uploads. It can Google do Google Drive, Box.net. I think it can do Amazon S3, but it's a location-based updating system. See, the only thing I don't like about the um, the current Dropbox app is it's not using the iOS 7 background ref- refresh. So it's kind of watching your cellular location. Yeah, it's um, using the old Instapaper slash Paperboy when you change location feature, right? Yes, when well, I think it's doing it slightly different than Instapaper was because it doesn't have the outline and the little GPS icon. Like it keeps the full icon on, and you know their explanation is that they're using minimal um, battery life. And, and I know I'm probably just being paranoid, but I don't. I like the true location base where it uh, the icon is just an outline, where it's literally as you exit a place or enter a place, you know, a certain place. That's when it kicks on. So, and that's what Camera Sync does. So. I have that to when I go either um, when I get home, get to work, or get to my in-laws to begin uploading. And I pretty much connect to Wi-Fi as soon as I'm at those locations. And so then all those photos go into the camera uploads folder with um, with Dropbox. And then I do the same thing on my wife's. And so it goes to her Dropbox account, but then her camera uploads folder is shared back to my Dropbox account. So I can easily access her photos um, you know, as long as, you know, whenever she comes home, her newest photos are being uploaded essentially to my Dropbox and it works really well. And I'm a big, uh, database style person when it comes to most programs. I love Evernote. I know that it's not the kind of raw file format that a lot of people love. I keep a lot of my notes in there. Uh, I even write Markdown in there, even though it doesn't natively support it, I still you know, kind of put in the tags and things and I can copy it out. But when it comes to my photos, I just want to be able to look into a finder directory and see them there. And and to me, that's why I love the Dropbox uploading is because I can I can see them. They're at full resolution. Uh, can kind of you, you can you can do scripts from there if you've got a server running somewhere. It, it to me it really works well. And if you've never used it and you've still got the two gigabyte Dropbox account, um, up until from if you turn it on as you upload three gigabytes for the photos or videos, it will give you additional free space. So if you've only got the two gigabytes, definitely turn that on and you can have five pretty quick. Yeah, and so so just to slow down a little bit, your wife has a Dropbox account, and as as do you. Yes, and she, she's got a folder on there that is shared with your account. Correct. So w- whenever she shoots a picture on her phone, this app kicks in, uploads the picture to the folder on her account, which your account sees. And then, don't you use Hazel as well in this Wait, mix I, too? I, I want to step back one more step because okay. I I got lost one step earlier. David hung in there longer than I did. You so you don't use the Dropbox camera up. You don't use the Dropbox app to upload. You use a different app to upload. Yes, you know, really, the only reason I have the Dropbox app on my phone is for authentication to other apps. I use an app called Boxy. It's a Dropbox client alternative to kind of interact with my Dropbox, but it's an app called Camera Sync for uh, the iPhone. And again, it, it's just straight up location based uploads to various you know servers. Again, Box.net. 
Amazon, uh, FTP, Google Drive, and of course Dropbox. And it's been updated for iOS 7 as well. I think it's so, three bucks in the app store. And and that so, will, and that will, because when you use the Dropbox, sorry, David, that will use the Dropbox. When you use the Dropbox app, which is what I'm familiar with, it just sucks it into the camera upload. But I'm guessing with camera sync, you can specify which folder you want your pictures to go into. You can. Um, I still use the camera uploads folder because I kind of use that as a, as a catch all place. Then I go through and process them later. Cause it, in my wife's the same way that David's wife is that she'll take pictures of fabric and things like that. Well, I don't, I don't care about those. They all get sucked up in there, but I want to be able to pull those out before I move them into the certain uh, folders they go into. And one of the cool things about it too is you can set it to ignore screenshots. See, that's one of the advantages for me of the shared libraries is that I'm only getting the pictures they they choose to share, and I don't have to go through that extra step of filtering. But but I do understand what you're saying. So every picture she's taking is going through the system and then showing up on your drive through the sharing through Dropbox. Correct. And then and then as I understand it, you're even using Hazel at some point to go through and kind of organize those. Correct. No, I'm not using Hazel. That's something that's kind of on my list in 2014 to begin looking at. Um, but I guess I'm a little hesitant to, to let go of the organizing. I, I want to make sure I don't get something in there that it shouldn't be in there. What I'm doing then is I have a, a very specific uh, kind of organizing system and how I organize by by year and by month. And so, you know, all the all the uh, files and photos she takes from this you know this month, or I guess from December. Today's the first day of January. We'll go into a 2013 folder. The inside of that, there's a 2013 12 folder. So we kind of uh, break up general day to day photos into like the month, except if it's an event and I'll have a 2013 12 space Christmas folder. So all of the photos from Christmas will be in a specific folder, but then just like the regular, regular uh, pictures we take day to day will be in just a, a general December folder. Oh, yeah. Hey, look, Hazel can look. help you out with that. Yeah, yeah I, I know I need to. And I've downloaded the trial and I've tinkered with it, but I'm just, I don't know, maybe I, I need to let go of that manual I think, organization. Um, Fe- Federico wrote that up, didn't he? Didn't Federico have a big write up on how he uses Hazel and Dropbox to organize all his photos? I, I don't so. know, but if he did, we'll find it and we'll put it in the show we'll notes. We'll find it and we'll ask him. Now, do your photos live in Dropbox forever? Right now they do. I am experimenting with some transporters. We have some workflows at work that I'd really like to move off of uh, Dropbox for Teams that we have at work because it's very expensive. And I'd love to be able to move that to transport file transporter. So I've actually got three of those um, online right now, two at work and one here at my house just for kind of some offsite backup that I'm testing. And so I'd love to be able to get a couple of those and to use transporter as a long-term storage because that would you know, allow it to not have to take up space on my actual computer. And I could maybe turn off the, the local syncing and just have it live on a couple of transporters. But right now I'm still at the point where they can fit inside of a hundred gigabyte Dropbox account. I will outgrow that in the next year or two. So I'm just hoping we have a better solution or some better Dropbox pricing at that point. Yeah. I, I use Hazel. I use a Dropbox photo upload a little bit. I I've always used it just kind of as a belt and suspenders approach. I've used Dropbox photo upload, I turn it on when I'm for special occasions and when I'm going to be out and about and I, I may, must have those photos and I want to make sure that they're downloaded. For a while, I, I, I kind of got uber paranoid and I then used Hazel to import photos from my Dropbox camera upload to automatically to Dropbox. 
or excuse me, automatically to iPhoto. And yeah. then I, I ended up with a situation where I had like two and three duplicates of the same photo because they were coming in via photo stream, they were coming in via Dropbox, and they were coming in via my iFi card later. And it was just a nightmare. Um, thank you to Photo Sweeper for helping me clear that up. But so now what I do is I do have Dropbox camera upload um, that's going to a specific folder. And then uh, that's just kind of my belt and suspenders backup. And then I have Hazel kind of clean that folder out every every six months or so to make sure that it's it's not getting too, um, too big or too unmanageable. The reason I could never you know, buy into the Dropbox upload. And I know a lot of my geek friends are doing it is I just don't want all the pictures. I mean, for me, if I were to do that with our family, that would mean I've got, you know, three other people. So I've got to set up three different Dropbox accounts and I'm going to be getting all of their crazy pictures into my hard drive. And this is going to become this nightmare. And even myself, I know I take, I mean, I take pictures of screws at Home Depot. You know, so I don't want all this stuff coming in and having to manage it all. I feel more comfortable with the iCloud photo sharing because it's a more limited pool. And and that's, to me, the advantage. For other people, that would be the disadvantage. Like, if I had a six-month-old and my daughter was constantly taking pictures of her, and maybe I would want to capture every photo she took. But, um, I, you know, that, that to me is the hang-up. And I just don't like the idea of the Dropbox um, data, you know, my Dropbox file always getting like pumped full of all of these pictures, even though if they'll expand the data to match, it's just be, going to become this massive thing. And and if I've got Dropbox connected to more than one computer, then I've got a big chunk of that that SSD taken to manage this big Dropbox library. I don't, I just have never really caught on to this whole thing. I understand the advantages of it, but it's just not for me. You know, I think this is where the stock MacBook Air, which I would venture to say is the most popular one that Apple sells, with it being only 128 gigabytes, that's especially true for a lot of people because you can fill that up pretty quickly with photos uh, in a few years. Yeah, easily. But that's a problem whether you're doing Dropbox and iPhoto or iCloud or anywhere. I mean, it's, it's just very easy with these big cameras that shoot these, you know, these large megapixel images. You're going to photo management is something you're going to have to deal. That's why we're doing the show today. It's only going to get harder as the iPhone camera gets better because the file sizes are going to keep going up year by year. Yeah. Now, Bradley mentioned transporter and that he's experimenting with that or thinking about experimenting with that. And so um, I want to mention (laughs) that and I'm I'm laughing a little bit because I I, again, this I just go around begging developers for features and pestering them until they say yes, Um, that transporter in their 2.0 version of their iPhone app has added the ability to um, import from your photo library. So you can, if you're worried about taking up space on your Dropbox, you can pull in photos from your camera roll into your transporter. Now, at this point, it is not, um, it, it's not automatic. It doesn't happen in the background or, or anything like that. But you can pull in things from your camera rolls or from your photo stream or from your albums, and that will will suck into your transporter, which I think is great if you're like out on vacation or you've got photos that you just want to make sure that you have backups of. Yeah. And I, I have a completely different way I use transporter in this whole system. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit later. 
But uh, first, I want to talk about uh, PDF Pen for iOS. Our sponsor, exclusive sponsor today is Smile. And Katie talked about how much she likes PDF Pen for her Mac. Well, I, I love it for iOS. And that's because I really am a big fan of the iPad. And I like getting my work done on it. And PDF Pen for the iPad is a remarkable application. It allows you to read and edit PDF documents on your iPad. And to me, the killer feature in all of this is the iCloud sync. I mean, it'll work with Dropbox too, but the iCloud is just great because I've got PDF pin on my Mac and I've got it on my iPad and I've got it on my iPhone. And whenever I work on a document and I save it to my iCloud storage, it just magically shows up on the other devices. So let's say I use Katie's fancy script to go through and redact a bunch of things out of a file with an Apple script on my Mac. And then I go into a meeting and someone says, well, where is that redacted document? I can pull it up on my iPad and without any fiddling or, you know, drilling the folders, it just automatically shows up in the iCloud sync and I can see it right there. And not only can I show it to someone, I can go through, I can add text and images to it. I can sign it if there's a section I need to sign. I can even correct text. Uh, this is a feature that I, I'm not sure if there, there may be some competing programs that do it, but I think PDF pin for iPad and iOS may be the only one where you can go and you can select text and change it. So if you have the word red in there and it needs to be blue, you can tap on it and you can change the text inside the PDF. It's really powerful stuff. You can move and resize and copy and delete images. You can import images from your photo library and drop them right on the PDF. I mean, this is a full featured PDF editing application. And I just can't understate how much time I spend every day working in PDF files because of my day job. That's like a huge part of it. And the combined editing tools and iCloud sync of PDF pin and the way it works on my phone and on my iPad and on my Mac, just really, uh, it's just made my life so much easier. And I'm just so happy that this this product exists. So so go check it out. You can get the iPad version for $14.99 and get the iPhone version for $4.99. So for 20 bucks, you can have any PDF document you're working with on your Mac automatically appear in your pocket on your phone or on your iPad. And to me, it's golden. So, so go check it out. It's really great. Uh, in addition to the iCloud, you can also uh, get documents from Dropbox, Evernote, Box, Google Docs. You can share them via computer, Wi-Fi transfer using iTunes, FTP, WebDev. I mean, they support everything. But for me, that iCloud feature is killer. And there's just nothing else like it. So, so go check it out. Thanks again, Smile, for supporting us. And everybody, uh, your life can get much easier for your PDFs if you just... Accept the iCloud here and use PDF pin. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to get back to now our photos problem. Um, we've talked about, you know, using sharing and Dropbox, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the web-based solutions because we've, we've really ignored that so far. Uh, one of them is obviously Google. I mean, Google is, I think everybody's aware that, that people are getting frustrated with photo management and Google is increasingly making it easier to upload your photos, especially like the Google plus initiative. I know a lot of people that are putting a ton of their photos up on Google plus. Have either of you played with that? I have stayed far, far away, far, far away from Google plus. Sorry. I have as well. The one thing that intrigues me about that is that their storage pricing is so cheap compared to Dropbox. It's about half the cost. Um, but again, I I just don't like Google Plus, and so I'm just leery. You know, ultimately, what I'm wanting out of a web-based solution long-term is something where I can not store my photos locally, uh, and I don't trust Google to do that just yet. 
or and yeah. probably probably won't ever. Well, I mean, Google does have a history of canceling services when they think it doesn't make sense for them anymore. And they make it easy to get in there and you're going to have to upload all your photos. Um, uh, if you are going to use that solution now, I would definitely recommend having local copies of all those photos. I wouldn't just put all my faith into one of these cloud services. I don't think I'd put all my faith into any single service, but it's not a bad idea. And if you're into Google, you know, the Google lifestyle, or if you're into Google plus, I think you've already kind of made your decision about, you know, your privacy concerns. And I don't think it's necessarily something to just turn your nose up. Um, I'm a little creeped out by Google and the way that, you know, they make money. So I've never been a big user of their services, but if you are, I, I think it's worth checking out at least. So, so for, you know, a small amount of money, you can upload all your pictures and they're going to store them all for you in their online service. Um, another one is Flickr and Flickr costs a little more. And that's the service that was very successful purchased by Yahoo. I think it lingered for a while, but it seems like it's kind of making a resurgence as Yahoo tries to become more relevant again. And I know a lot of people that store all their pictures on Flickr. And I, I would actually feel a little more comfortable with Flickr than I would with, with Google because Flickr's business model is, you know, you pay us money and we store your photos for you. And that feels a little more comfortable to me. One of the best things about Flickr is for free, you get one terabyte. Uh, if you huge. pay, you, if you pay 40 bucks a year, you can turn off ads. I, I, I use Flickr as a, fail safe backup. And so at the end of every month, I upload all of my month's photos to Flickr as a private set. Again, I never hope I have to use them, but they always go there at the end of the month. And so my entire library is taking up less than 10% of my Flickr account. My big frustration with Flickr at this point is I got two things. There's no automatic upload. So one of the things I loved about Everpix was that it had a menu bar app that could suck up photos you know, directly from my Mac. So Flickr does not have that yet. Their Mac app is still compatible with Panther, if it tells you anything about the state of that app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's no native iPad app. And there's some pretty good third-party alternatives, but there's no native iPad app. Uh, not necessarily that I want to upload from the iPad, but I want to be able to view them from the iPad. Um, a friend of mine, Robert Miles, is trying to take a stab at the first problem of the automatic upload. He's got a, a project he was working on. I think he's eventually going to submit to the app store. It's a menu bar app for Flickr. And I'll have a link for that in the show notes, but especially where you can set it to watch a folder and it will suck all those up to a private set for you. And then you could kind of mess with it from there. But I would, you know, again, if, if the only thing somebody did was upload their photos to Flickr every month as private photos, that's better than nothing. And one terabyte will go a long way. Yeah. It would hold all of my photos. No problem. That's for sure. Now, Bradley, are you, so how are you uploading to Flickr? I mean, forgive me I, for asking what may be an obvious question, but I, I know that, that iPhoto in, I don't know if you, you know, I don't think you've mentioned, I, oh, I, I know you haven't because you don't, I, I, from what I've taken, you don't use iPhoto because everything stays in, in Dropbox or in files and folders. Correct. I've actually uninstalled iPhoto from my Mac because it was using two gigabytes for the storage and I literally just didn't use it. And so I uninstalled iPhoto and, and haven't missed it. It's very simple. At the end of the month, and I'll actually do it today or tomorrow for December of last year, I will manually upload the entire folder to Flickr's website. The downside of that is that you can only upload 200 at a time. So if I have 300 photos for the month, I'll have to you know kind of do that in two sets. And again, I hope I never need this. But if all my other backup methods, which I'll talk about later, fail, 
I, I just feel like maybe it's just like one final fail safe for me. And in Yahoo, I think we'll probably keep Flickr around. But, I, you know, John Syracuse has always talked about this when it comes to managing photos in the cloud is don't just trust one service. If you're going to use Flickr, use something else, too, uh, just as a, you know, as a backup. Well, it's it's a great idea, I think, that, you know, just it's it doesn't cost you anything for the one terabyte if you're willing to put up with ads. And doing it as private galleries means that it's not going to be shared with the world. Um, so it, if you want another place to, to store your photos and you're willing to put up with kind of the, the onerous process of doing the upload every month, it's, it's, it's not a bad idea. And Flickr is also a solution to the problem I was talking about earlier, where you can have shared galleries and you could have your family and it wouldn't matter what platform they were. If, if you got everybody kind of trained up on Flickr where they could upload photos and they could, um, you know, you could have shared galleries up there with particular individuals. Uh, the advantage for me with the iPhoto sharing is that it, it's immediate and they can do it right from their devices. And quite often we end up doing it as we're sitting around, you know, enjoying the holiday together, which sounds kind of weird, but you know, it's my family. What can I say? Um, so Flickr's so app. Go ahead. I was going to say Flickr's iOS app is really, really good, and it does uh, auto upload using the iOS seven background app refresh, and so yeah. it's being paid attention to as well. Yeah. Well, that that's definitely a solution, and and it's less creepy than Google. So, <laughs> and and then I put in the outline other, and I'm just not aware of any other services I'd feel comfortable recommending to listeners at this point. The one that I really like here is Loom. And I did an article for Sean Blanc's this week set up about this. And we talked about our best, you know, photo stream replacement. And um, the article was written uh, well before the Everpix was shut down. And so my original choice was Everpix. And I was a paying Everpix subscriber. And I, I just love the service. But when that, uh, the day we finished the article was the day Everpix announced it was shutting down. So we had to really retool that article. And uh, the two I really looked at were Flickr. Picture Life and Loom. And again, Flickr has some definite advantages and disadvantages. Uh, Picture Life is great as well, but I really, really like Loom. It's L-O-O-M. Um, it, it's just, it's a very simple service that it, it basically is trying to take all the photos you take from anywhere and upload them to their servers. And you can not just store them locally if you didn't want to, and you can access them from anywhere. And we'll have a link to my article in the show notes if you want to kind of see more about why I really, really like Loom. It's not free and it's not necessarily the cheapest service, but I really, really like it. And if someone doesn't mind spending a little money every year, it could be a great way to kind of manage your photos without having to store them locally. Uh, they do have great export options uh, at full resolution. So again, uh, we'll have a link for, to that in the show notes. Now you can get a free Loom account up to five gigabytes. How much does it cost to uh, to go above that? It really depends on how much you need. I um, I get I need, I have about, I think, 70 gigabytes of photos currently. So I'm more than the 50 gigabyte plan. But um, so I think I, I would need their 100 gigabyte plan. And I know they just changed those, I believe, this week's. I think we'll look those yeah. up while we're looking at it. I think I would have to pay. Um, yeah, they have a free free plan for five gigabytes, a 50 gigabyte at $4 a month, and a 250 gigabyte at $10 a month. Um, and so I would need, obviously, the 250 gigabyte plan. I would love to see if they would come out with a 100 gigabyte plan or maybe a 125 gigabyte plan. But 
you know, for $10 a month, and I think it's a little less if you pay um, annually, it's a pretty good solution. And they're, you know, they're backed by some great companies um, that are well known, you know, from a venture capitalist standpoint. And it's it's a service that's not just so totally free. It's trying to provide a service for a for a fee and trying to make money off of uh, off its customers in a, in a way we can all understand. So great apps for the iPad and the iPhone. And they have a Mac app that can suck in your photos from an SD card, from a, you know, various folders. And again, uploads them at full resolution. Their Mac app, you can even re-download complete albums from the app. So if you decided not to keep, you know, last year's photos on your Mac and then you decided you wanted to again, you can easily re-download them with a click of a button. And then how is the sharing features? I haven't played with them a whole lot. They have them. Um, You know, sharing is just not something that, you know, we do a whole whole lot right now. My kids are so young and we, you know, none of our family, um, we don't see them enough to kind of warrant, you know, having sharing, sharing options. Again, they have them and they work well in my testing. Kind of, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's not perfect, but it it does work. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. People are, are, you know, biting around the fringes of this problem. I still feel like at some point Apple needs to step it up. No, I agree. Uh, you you want to tell people that, hey, you buy this phone, you buy this iPad, and you buy this Mac, and Apple is just going to have a perfect solution for you um, in much the same way that they do with music. I mean, I anyone that loves music, I recommend iTunes Match. And I, you, know, you want to have something like that with photos, even if it's not free, even if it's 50 bucks a year, to say, hey, pay 50 bucks a year to Apple, and they will manage all of your photos. They will back them up. They will help you organize them, and they'll be available from all of your iOS devices, including Apple TV. Like, I think a lot of people could get on board with that. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I bet it's coming. But anyway, we're still dealing with it now. Now, the other issue I wanted to talk about is, you know, we've talked plenty about how we're capturing the pictures, but how do we, you know, archive and share? And, you know, what do we do with the back end of these pictures? And and I can tell you, for me, uh, that's been another part of the problem is, you know, I've got this massive Aperture library. Well, I say massive. It's about 200 gigabytes. And this is largely due to the fact that I keep, I shot raw for years and years and it's 11 years of pictures. And, um, and it's just, you know, it's kind of overwhelming because I'm increasingly moving to just working off my laptop. My, my iMac is getting long in a tooth and I'm not even sure I'm going to replace it. Um, so, you know, with a big library problem, one of the things I did is I went through and I thinned the herd again. I went through and I looked at pictures and I deleted a bunch that I knew I didn't want anymore. I also split it up by year, and then I've saved it onto my my Drobo NAS drive, my 5N. So I've got the Aperture library more, you know, more lean at this point. Another thing I did that I thought made a lot of sense for me was Aperture, and I still prefer Aperture for managing my photos. I know we are not going to talk about that on the show, but uh, with all these photo streams and these shared galleries, I'm still accessing them through Aperture. I like the tools it has. I like the organization. I like the basic editing tools. I like the way it ties to Pixelmator. So it just works for me. And I'm kind of the master of photos in my house. I'm the one who kind of does the back end stuff on anything that gets shared. But uh, as I started dealing with, you know, breaking down my Aperture library into smaller pieces, I they've got a really great function in there that will auto-export your images to, to whatever format you want. I chose JPEG, and it'll create subfolders for each, you know, event that you've created in Aperture. So I did that by each year. And so I've got a, a folder now that has 
inside it maybe 20 or 40 folders for each event from the year. And each one of those is full of all these JPEG files. So it, it basically converted the pictures from raw to JPEG and exported them into a very, you know, um, you know, hierarchical folder structure archive of all these photos. So that was something that was kind of a, a watershed event for me in terms of dealing with my family and the pictures. So now I have taken my family out of my aperture library because that was just causing me pain and suffering. And instead I've got 11 years of folders of all the JPEGs of the old pictures. And what I did is I took those and I put them on the root uh, directory of our family Drobo 5N. And so everybody in the house now knows, hey, I want to go see some old pictures. They can go to that directory and they can drill into those folders and find these JPEGs. And those are kind of categorized like like Bradley categorizes them by year, by month. by Yeah, exactly. They can say 2007 Samantha's birthday party or actually there it goes month too. So so they can go through and find whatever they want. They can copy those onto their local laptop. They can send them up to, you know, Target or wherever they're going to get the pictures printed from. And they're not screwing up my aperture library in the process. And no. not so that, that's been really good. Then the other piece of that is I'm also, and I haven't shared this with them yet because I, I'm not sure exactly how I would go about it. And I don't want to go there yet, but all of those JPEGs I've copied onto my transporter backup system too. You so, know, I, so I've, I've got those backed up at my sister-in-law's house. I've got them backed up here. And I've got them backed up all over the place because I've got that, that JPEG library um, on the transporter too. So here's my question. And you kind of addressed it with the shared iCloud photo streams, or I forget what now what the technical name is because I don't have the knowledge base article open in front of me. But how does your family share, or maybe they don't, all of their photos with you? Like, do you have an, an, a family pot? Like when Daisy takes photos with her iPhone, unless she shares them specifically to the Sparks Family Fund 2014 photo stream. Do you ever see those photos? Do they ever end up in the Sparks Family uh, Aperture Library where no. you manage them? Or So Daisy no. actually has to share those with – the only way that those photos end up in the library is if Daisy shares them with you through a iCloud photo sharing. Yeah, and we've had that conversation. I mean, they, their photos do get backed up through the normal you know, Apple system – they have their own iPhoto libraries where they manage the pictures of things that they're off doing. And those computers are backed up and, you know, that's a whole nother show really. But, but in terms of the main family library, I just told everybody, look, if you share it, it will get taken care of. If you don't, no guarantees. So everybody's responsible for managing their own stuff unless they share it with you. And then it becomes your responsibility. Yeah. Okay. And, and that works. Because we've gotten the question um, from a couple of listeners like, you know, hey, you know, husband and wife, we're newly married couple. We've got a kid. How do we make sure that all of the photos that I and my husband take end up on our family iMac and in, in all in the pot? And I guess your answer, Brad's an Bradley's answer to that is he uses the Dropbox with the shared and then all of his wife photos come to him and he manages it. And your answer to that is... We, we set up a, a, a pretty, you know, specific photo streams for events and then a more generic photo stream for everyday photos. And if you want to share it, it goes in there. Yeah. And, okay. uh, and so I, I'm kind of pushing it off on, on my wife and kids and Bradley's being the, you know, 
the good guy and he's dealing with it because he's he's capturing everything. Well, and of course, my kids are so young now uh, that'll be a whole nother discussion I have to deal with when they get old enough to have their own photos that maybe I don't care about. You know, so, like, when they're five, you're going to make them manage their own photos? Well, I think I'll, when, when my son turns six, he'll get his first iPhone, and then we'll probably talk about that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just a problem that I just had to take on to deal with because I want everything she takes. Even if I would rather err on the side of getting something that I don't need than take a chance on missing something that she forgot to share and then she dropped her phone and it, uh, and then it broke. It, yeah. Just like just two weeks ago, we have a two story house and she dropped it off of the, uh, we have a catwalk on our upstairs that kind of connects all the rooms together. She accidentally dropped her phone off of that. Thankfully, it landed on the rug and survived and didn't crack or anything. Now, was this an older phone that perhaps was due for an upgrade that she was trying to give you a hint? No, she's got an iPhone five. She oh, um, she always resists when I when I go to upgrade her phone. She always resists and is like, "I'm fine. I don't want it." Uh, but she doesn't want me to take the upgrade, but she doesn't always want the newest phone. Where, of course, I'm still slumming it around with an iPhone 5 as well. So we'll, we need to upgrade at some point. Hey, hey, I got an iPhone 5 right here. Anyway. But yeah, that's that's my fear is I, I just want everything and I want to err on the side of getting more than I need. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And it makes sense to me. It just makes me crazy seeing all that stuff flood into my Dropbox. I mean, I, I did some experiments with it and, and you know, I'm okay. If, if they don't get something to me and they lose it, I guess we lost that picture. I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe it's cause I'm getting older and the kids are getting older. It's not as big of a deal, but at the same time, my family has picked up on this very quickly and, this is the first system we've had that's really worked reliably. I mean, before when I had them go to the computer and upload themselves, they never did it, you know, and, and then when they did do it, they managed to screw up the library management in Aperture. And it just, there was just, you know, it was just chaos and havoc. And this, this new system works much better for me and adding the transporter to the mix and having that, that, uh, that backup set to the transporter, which I can access from any device using my transporter app. And what I didn't say earlier is I haven't hooked them up to it yet. Cause I'm not sure I want to do that, but maybe I will. And then also having it in at, at the home in the local NAS drive where anybody can get access to it when they want. Um, they like it better too, because you know, my wife may want to go find a 10 year old picture that she wants to you know use for something she's working on. And she can do it better now than she ever could before. All right. Well, I think the next step in our process was to give an overview of our workflows, but I think we've done that throughout the course of the show. Yeah. You really haven't, Katie. Well, my workflow is really the simplest of them all. I I really, because it's it's just me and just my devices, I let iOS and PhotoStream do its magic. You know, most of my photos are taken from my iPhone. Um, I do have a point-and-shoot camera that I've got one of those iFi cards in. And whenever I hit my my um, my network, I've got the iFi software running on my Mac Mini. And all of that stuff is sucked into a particular folder that's monitored by Hazel. And then it gets automatically imported into iPhoto. And, um, and that's about it. I, I did set up Keyboard Maestro because I don't do a lot with photos. Um, so I did set up keyboard and I was concerned that I might hit that 30 days every now and then where I would go 30 days without launching iPhoto. So I did set up keyboard maestro to automatically launch iPhoto and then shut it down 20 or 30 minutes later, uh, a couple times a week, just to make sure that it regularly pulls in all of my photo stream images. 
And I originally wanted to do that on my Mac Mini because I wanted to have all of my photos on my Mac Mini, kind of like what I do with with my iTunes library. I wanted kind of a everything on my Mac Mini and then a sub-library on my MacBook Air. But I found that PhotoStream will only let you auto-import into one computer, so that was kind of a no-go. Yeah. Um, and then I just back up via my normal methods. Um, things get backed up because everything's in my iPhoto library. It gets backed up via Time Machine. It gets backed up via Crash Plan. It gets backed up via SuperDuper. And then for special events or vacations, I will probably manually back up the images either to my transporter, to my Dropbox, or if I'm shooting on cards and don't have access to Wi-Fi to do that kind of stuff, then I've got that um, little Kensington mobile light that I talked about in our, I think, a couple of times on our travel episodes and various shows that I'll stick the card in and suck photos down to that. Yeah, like you, I've got everything backed up multiple ways because, first of all, my, my laptop is getting backed up to a time capsule and it's got all the data on it as well as it's got those transporter libraries local. So it's getting the JPEGs backed up as well. So actually getting backed up twice for some pictures. And then I've got everything saved on the Drobo as well, which is internally backed up. And then that's separately backed up. And then the laptop is getting backed up to Backblaze, which is, you know, putting it online. All that being said, I'm thinking that Bradley's idea of putting everything up on Flickr is not a bad idea. I was just idea. thinking that too. Yeah. In fact, it's, I just added an OmniFocus task while he was talking to, to do that. I mean, why it's not? A, it's terabyte. It's, pain, it's free. It's a pain to start, but once you get it where you're caught up, uh, it's, it's really just, it's nice. And um, it kind of also can help you solve the problem if you don't want to pay for Loom, which I really, really like Loom, but it can help you solve the problem of browsing on the go without having to eat up um, storage off your iOS devices. Well, I think it's going to be less of a pain for David and I, because I think iPhoto and Aperture will automatically upload to Flickr. And I wonder if you couldn't use Keyboard Maestro to script that a little bit. Yeah. I'll think about that. I think, Katie, your recommendation on, you know, doing your normal backup methods, I think that's so key. And that's always my recommendation is you should be backing up anyways. You know, you know, I use Time Machine. I use, I have a clone drive as well. Then I also have Backblaze and I have multiple Time Machine drives. I have one at work and one at home. And those are the kind of backup methods you should be doing anyways. And so your photos should fit right in there and you should be taking care of those just like you do the rest of your documents. Well, that, that event at the Apple store, watching that woman realize that she'd lost her entire college experience worth of pictures was very, um, that stuck with me. You know, and uh, so I've always been freaked out about the pictures. I mean, I've also got just old hard drives. You know how sometimes you, you, you know, increase the size of your backup drives and you've got an older one and it's, you know, you can't guarantee it's going to work forever, but I still will store pictures on those and put them in the closet. I mean, I've probably got six copies of my photos in various locations around the house. I can't help but wonder how much storage space we're using by duplicating all of these photos. But yeah, you know, there's some yeah. of the most important stuff we have. You can't yeah. recreate it either. You can buy, you can rebuy movies, you can rebuy music, but you cannot recreate photos if they're gone. And so I would always, my wife thinks my backup methods are crazy because I have them backed up so many places. But you know, if you ever needed them, we'd be glad we had them. And it's you <laughs> know, if you, if you had a, you know, if your house burned down or someone stole all your computers from your house. Knowing that your photos were safe and sound would be you know, one less thing you have to be stressed about. Yeah, that's a good. Good note to end on, Bradley. My, I got I got to tell one story. Oh, of one course story. you do. In, back in the seventies, my aunt and uncle got married, and 
the uh, photographer, this is back in the film days, right? And the photographer's studio burned down. Like two my weeks parents' after wedding, the wedding photo got, got burned down. Do you think yeah, maybe so your that, aunt and uncle are my parents? No, sorry. Oh, that's now you're creeping me out. Katie. Okay, but uh, they so so uh, they got all the tuxes and the wedding dress. They restaged the whole wedding photo shoot. My, see that my my story wasn't nearly that. Wow. That's pretty cool. My yeah. uh, my mother for their I don't know twenty fifth wedding anniversary several years ago tried to get some reprints because when they got married they were you know young and poor and just got you know the basic photo package and so she went to go get some reprints from the photographer and it turns out that her negatives were lost in a fire several years ago. Yeah, this thing it burned down like af- right oh, after the wedding. Wow. <laughs> Anyway, on that special note, Bradley, why don't you tell people um, where they can find you, what you do, and a little bit about your photo book? So I am on the web at chambersdaily.com. I'm on Twitter at uh, at Bradley Chambers. I also do a weekly podcast with Fraser Spears called Out of School, where we talk about uh, technology and the education environment. It's at outofschool.net. And then uh, my book is called Learning to Love Photo Management. It's really, really short. It's 20 pages. It's meant to be an instructional manual for non-technical people, where if, you, if you've got someone that wants to kind of wrangle their photos, but it's not going to read a 100-page book, uh, this is a great book for them because it's really, really short. Uh, it's three bucks. You can buy it on Kindle. You can buy it uh, on the iBook store. It's a it's an iPad uh, iPad-only book. And you can also buy a PDF directly from my website, again, at chambersdaily.com. Um, I, you know, I, I wrote it because I was tired of having to explain this to people because I wanted something that I could hand to my mother-in-law to say, look, this is how you wrangle your photos. This is a simple method. Um, you know, it, it's really describing some of my methods. It covers the getting the photos off of your phone, how I organize them on the Mac and how I back them up and how I actually enjoy them. I mean, what's the process of how do I access them from an iOS device? How do I access them from my iPhone? Um, because I'm finding as time goes on, I'm viewing my photos more and more only on the iPad. You know, I, I just don't use my Mac as much as I used to. And the iPad is quickly becoming my device of choice, uh, especially at home. So um, I want a good way that I can access those from anywhere. So uh, again, that's at uh, chambersdaily.com. Well, thank you for joining us. And you'll find links to everything that we talked about in this episode on our website at macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 171 for this episode. David, we're going to hit 200 this year. All right. Yeah. Um, you can also uh, email us by sending an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and that will go to both David and I. You can also um, send us something on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Barkey. Happy New Year, everybody, and we look forward to great things to come with MacPowerUsers all year long, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.